quite unusual. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother forty wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father forty-one. So close your door and lock it and latch it, because here comes Lizzie with her hatchet. Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Quite Unusual Podcast. I'm Nicole. And I'm Noelle. And if you're new around here, we are your hosts, and you can probably assume what we're talking about today, and that is Lizzie Borden. And we actually just visited her old house, where the murders took place in Fall River, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. We sure did. Um, This is one of the things that I was dying to see when we went to Salem, and it did not disappoint. Nope. It was snowing. The mood was perfect. It was... I don't know, kind of spooky, cool, and honestly, it was one of my absolute favorite parts of our trip. Yeah, and our we had the most amazing tour guide. Her name was Louise. Louise in the trees, honey. <laughs> yes, that's what she called herself. That's what she is to her neighbors, is what she said. Yeah, she said that she was um, the nosy neighbor. Yeah. And she could be spotted in the trees, and a neighbor's always called a Louise in the trees. <laughs> and she peeked behind the banister. Oh, yeah. It was like, this is me in the trees. Louise in the trees. And we're like, okay, girl. Yeah. We'll she had an amazing, mm-hmm. amazing Boston little, what, what would you call it? A twang? It was great. She never said wicked, which I was dying uh, to hear. Yeah. She did end almost every sentence with, okay. Yes, she did. Okay. <laughs> so if you think it's annoying how much I say the word like, <laughs> uh, you're going to get real sick of, okay. 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 Well, I mean, speaking of ghosts, I finished The Haunting of Bly Manor finally. Finally? Yeah, it was a chore. It was a chore to finish. What? And I can just say, all of you who posted about how hard you cried at the ending and how great it was, are you high? Because it was terrible. Um, It was great. And you know, for a fact, I don't (laughs) eat drugs. So no, I wasn't high. (laughs) Listeners, uh, listen up. This is the point of the show, the point Mm -hmm. of our lives. Where you find out that Nicole has no human emotions. Absolutely none. I cried. Uh, I was very sad. I laughed. Mm. It gave me all the ranges of emotions. Uh, the <laughs> only the only part that made me cry was that I had just wasted nine hours of my life watching it and waiting for something to happen. Wow. So, but the love part. It's, but it Haunting of Hill House was so good. And this was just, just didn't do it for me. Okay, well, excuse me for loving love, Nicole. Okay, it was it was a beautiful love story. Mm. You are truly a monster. I mean, I will say though, I'll agree with you on that. That they should not have branded it as like a scary story or like a haunting. Exactly. When it was in fact an '80s forbidden love story Mm. featuring ghosts. Yes. It's like if there was a song called "Bly Manor" by. the fast walking nannies. Oh my! God. Featuring DJ Haunty G. Mm. That's the only ghost insertion. Yeah, I will. Yeah, yeah. I will say there's a lot of fast walking nanny nannies in there. She's such a fast She's walker. Such a fast walker. If Halloween had been a real thing this year, I would have dressed up oh. like her and just fucking power walked <laughs> all over the place, miles. With the hands on the hips, like oh my god, it was amazing. With like the 
80s jeans too yeah think about how easy it is right now Mm -hmm. for a costume designer they could just go to target and buy a full 80s wardrobe very true so that's pretty sick well we also got a pretty salty ass review from um a little someone called Elsie Illinois. I totally forgot about this. Should we chat about that? Uh, yes. I completely forgot about this review. <laughs> I was living in this blissful, like, <laughs> totally ignorant to all things. Yeah. And then Elsie from Illinois comes and just hacked at my face with a freaking hatchet of she, hatred. She did. She ruined our days. It was hilarious. It was a two-star review, so it wasn't even a one-star yeah, it review. it was actually pretty funny, I have to admit. And she basically just roasted us for not being a geography podcast. Yeah, I don't know. For anyone who's listening that thinks that we are a geography podcast, we're not. We never have been. So when we say Tennessee is below Illinois, we're not saying that it's bordering Illinois. We're just saying it's below it. It's more like the vibe we get from Tennessee. (laughs) We know it's somewhere below us. We don't know where. Right. It's like when you look at a map. And you're just vibing. And we don't shit on Southern Illinois. We just make the point that it's like a separate state from Northern Illinois because it is. It's basically completely different than Chicago. Yeah. Chicago is, uh, let's see, modern, metropolitan. <laughs> I know. It well, not, like it's, just, it's just a disparaging tone, as she says, or he. I don't really know. Well, whatever else he is, she crawled out of a fucking dumpster fire. <laughs> sorry, sorry. They crawled out of a fucking dumpster fire, and yeah. they could go back in whenever they wanted. Yeah. Also, we do say like a lot. We do. We're working and on it. She so. called us out on it, and she called us bubbleheads. Well, you know what? You try being a girl who grew up on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Clueless in the 90s, okay? It's basically ingrained in our brains to say like, and we know it's annoying, but we we're trying not to say it so much. So, like, you know what, Elsie? <laughs> if you're, like, listening right now and you're, mm. like, I don't know, 8 to 12 hours away from us, depending on what part of <laughs> Illinois you're in, maybe you should, like, listen up, homie, because you're too salty. <laughs> Call mama. Should give you some sugar. Even that uh, yeah. a little bit. Noelle's a fantastic baker. We'll send you some cookies or something. That's right. Hit It'll us up, Elsie. We're here for you if you're still <laughs> listening to your favorite little bubble heads. <laughs> Um, we should probably mention that this is our uh, second time recording this episode. We recorded last week. Yeah. And we were supposed to release this on... That wasn't a word. We were supposed to release <laughs> this on Monday, yesterday. Yep. And basically, our computer... Um, it was looking at itself in the mirror for a really long time. <laughs> and it just said, you know what? I can't, I can't do this anymore. And it threw itself in the bathtub, mm-hmm. and it 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 is no longer with us. No. So that episode was flushed down so many toilets, <laughs> like Elsie's positive mood. <laughs> so we're re-recording. So yes. if this sounds uh, incredible, it's because we've done this before. Yeah, we've so, already we've done ever all of this, all the jokes. We wrote them down. No, I know. That's the part that sucks, is that we're going to have to remember the jokes or just come up with the new ones. I'm not funny. You're the funny one, let's be honest. I don't think so. Well, you bring the skills to the table. I just bring the terrible humor. You're the wild card. I am wild card, bitches. (laughs) Speaking of wild cards, let's talk about Lizzie Borden a little, shall we? Let's do it. All right. Can we start this episode um, in my favorite part? 
history corner. Absolutely. Okay. We're not a history podcast, though. So <laughs> we're not. We're not. If anyone here, um, you know, wants to be angry at us, let us know. All right. We're going to talk about Lizzie Borden. Mm-hmm. Our sweet Lizzie Borden was born on July 19th, 1860 in the teeny tiny town of Fall River in Massachusetts. Fun fact, her name was not Elizabeth. Like I thought it was. Yeah, I assumed it was Elizabeth. Yeah, same. Because that's a name and Lizzie is a nickname. Her birth name was Lizzie Andrew Borden. She was named after her father. Oh, wow. And then for anyone uh, listening who's wondering, Mm -hmm. Fall River, Massachusetts is approximately 12 hours from (laughs) Illinois. I'm just kidding. I don't don't know. That one was just for you, Elsie, Illinois. Because you're so hung up on the times it takes to drive. It feels like it's 12 hours. Like, that's the vibe I'm getting. (laughs) So we're going to go with it, okay? She was born to her mother named Sarah Anthony Borden and her father named Andrew Jackson Borden which I have a question for you, Mm -hmm. and I didn't even think about this. Do you think her father was named after Andrew Jackson, the president? Hmm. The time periods definitely match up, so maybe. If I ever have a baby, I'm going to name it... Barack Obama Krupa. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to name it Barack Obama Krupa. It's taking my last name. (laughs) And then if I ever have a daughter, I'm going to name it Beyonce Knowles Krupa. (laughs) Solid, solid choices. You have to have the same first initial. Mm. Kardashian style? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're going with B then? I'm going with B. Barack, <laughs> um, Beyonce, who else? Uh, B, comma, Michael Jordan. Um, <laughs> I can't even think of anyone else whose name starts with a B right now. Ugh. Barney the Dinosaur Krupa. Mm. Yeah. That's all I on. got. I'm going to have mm. four kids, I guess. Seems like. <laughs> Lizzie Borden had an older sister named Emma Lenora Borden. Since we're using middle names here, I felt like it was kind of nice to include hers. Yeah, you have to. Her sister was nine years older than Lizzie. There was also a middle daughter named Alice who died of a brain condition when she was just two years old. And I couldn't find her middle name. Damn it. I know. I feel so bad. (laughs) The Bordens were of English and Welsh descent, and they attended the Central Congressional Church in Fall River, religiously lizzie was like super into god she was everyone during that time i would assume that's true she was known around town though to be very heavily involved in the church Mm. and one more fun fact for you this church which still stands was in an aerosmith video oh no way which one um crying i want to say okay yeah yeah that's super so, random, but uh, that's cool, I they guess. They were huge into Lizzie Borden, well-known fact <laughs> about Aerosmith. Something very important to know about the father, Andrew Borden, was that he grew up in a very modest home, and he struggled financially until eventually he hit it big in the manufacturing business. Ooh. What does one Andrew Jackson Borden manufacture, <laughs> you might ask? Coffins. Oh, nice. Yeah. The best part about the coffin industry is that you know you'll always have customers. That's true. People are always going to die. Yeah. More so now than ever. Oh, just, that just got super dark. I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you give me a tissue? I'm very emotional today. I sip to that. <sighs> Andrew Borden also sold furniture because I guess if you're making things out of wood, why not just go whole hog and make a table and a coffin? Oh, my God. What if you made a table coffin, a coffin table? That makes so much sense. Like a, a coffee table? Coffee table. A coffin table? I'd buy it. 
I would buy it. It's, and then when you're dead, home. you just take the legs off. Bam. <laughs> there you go. Easy rider. Yeah. Wow. Did we just invent something? We did. Has to be out there. Mm. Shark Tank, call us. <laughs> Eventually, he would make an ass ton of money by basically owning just a whole bunch of commercial properties because that's how rich people stay rich. Yeah. They're landlords. Yep. He was also the president of one bank and the director of another bank. Oh. Which seems like very strange to me that you're allowed to be in charge of two different banks at once. Yeah, I wonder if there was any, like, rivalry between his two banks. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. This is very important to note that Andrew Borden was absolutely rolling in it. I'm picturing, like, a Scrooge McDuck style diving into piles of gold coins. <laughs> okay, that's a nice visual. Love Scrooge McDuck. And by the time of his death, he was worth around $300,000, which doesn't sound like a ton of money. Right. But in today's dollars, that's like a hot nine mil. Oh, holy shit. Okay. Yeah, that's a shit ton of money. Yeah. Even though Andrew Borden was extremely, extremely wealthy, he was an absolute clenched butthole of a person. (laughs) He would pinch every penny with his butthole until it bled. Ooh, ouch. (laughs) You got to do it, I think. That was his motto. His motto was, keep it tight, keep it right. Their house didn't have indoor plumbing or electricity, which were actually very uncommon. That was uncommon at the time to not have indoor plumbing and Uh electricity. Especially if you were worth $9 million. Yeah, basically. They had to use chamber pots, which if you don't know, I'm sure you all do know. Yeah. But it's a porcelain pot that you actually piss in. (laughs) Or shit in. I was going to say, the pissing part wouldn't be too hard, but I would never, ever, ever do number two in that. That's... You have no other choice. But then it goes under your bed. Yeah. That's disgusting. Where else do you keep your shit, Nicole, except for under your bed? You're just just going to leave it on the mantle? No, No. that's kind of rude, honestly. You're a very rude person. (laughs) Even in the poorer parts of Fall River, they had indoor plumbing and electricity. But he didn't want to put it in because it was too expensive. And because of his extremely tight butthole. The tightest butthole in town. When Lizzie was just three years old, her mother, Sarah, died of a uterine infection. Mm -hmm. One thing our tour guide, Louise in the Trees, made sure to stress to us was that on Sarah's dying day, she had made Emma promise to always, always look after and take care of little Lizzie. This is something that Emma took very, very seriously and made sure to do for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. Emma was sort of like a second mother to Lizzie in a lot of ways. She was so much older than her. Yeah, nine years, right? Mm-hmm. That it, she just took it upon herself to sort of raise Lizzie. Mm. And also, it was just her. It was Emma, Lizzie, and their dad, who seemed like he wasn't um, doing much else besides I mean, counting his coins, yeah, I assume. owning all of those banks and properties. Shitting in pots. <laughs> kind of his, his tight butthole. Yeah, just kind of his thing, you know. To the dismay of Emma, Lizzie's older sister, their father moved on quickly and married just two years later to a woman named Abby Durfrey Gray. This to me is totally understandable since Andrew was raising two young girls by himself and he probably had no fucking clue what he was doing. That's true, but I'm sure he could definitely afford a nanny to help. But you have to pay nannies. That's true. He was shitting in pots. I don't think he's going out of his way to pay someone to take care of his kids. Yeah. That seems like the bottom of his, like, shit bucket, you know? (laughs) True. (laughs) 
<laughs> By all accounts, Lizzie and her father did get along quite well. Andrew even wore a pinky ring that Lizzie had given him when she was very, very young. Ooh. As a way to keep the peace with her father, and also probably because she was so young when he was remarried, mm-hmm. she called Abby mother. Emma also called Abby mother for a while, that is. Ooh, dun-dun-dun. In 1884, tensions began to grow between the girls and their stepmother when the ever-frugal Andrew Borden decided to gift his new wife a house for her sister to live in rent-free. Oh, casual. This was unheard of, Andrew Borden style. Yeah. I mean, he, again... He unclenched his butthole, and he was like, have this house. Shit a million dollars. <laughs> Gave it to his wife. Yes. And she bought a house for her sister to live in absolutely rent-free. Wow. Un- that's seriously unreal. And the girls were fucking pissed about it. I would be too. They were in their 30s at the time, um, still living at home. They were spinsters. Yeah. Which I love that Me phrase too. for some reason. Yeah. Basically, they didn't need no man. They just stayed at home and did whatever. And we'll find out later. They ate a shit ton of pears um, (laughs) and hung out and shit in pots in their dad's house. I think the definition of it is a woman past their prime for marriage, which was probably, I don't know, like 21 at the time. And they were in their 30s, 40s. So they were way past their prime. Well, this was the late 1800s. So yeah. I'm feeling like, yeah, probably 21 was very old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's disgusting. Yeah. I really hate when we talk about the ages of these women that get yeah. married and stuff. Right. It totally fucks Because you up. think of yourself at the age of 21 and you're like, I would never be able to raise a family or take care of another human. I'm 30 and I forgot <laughs> to brush my teeth this morning. <laughs> done that before so, i've done that with within the last five days <laughs> and it's like noon and i'm like making lunch and i was like fuck i forgot to brush my teeth i mean i'm working from home though so i don't break. have a fucking job i did not know what day it was this morning and then around two o'clock i was like why does my mouth taste like absolute shit <laughs> What did I eat earlier? Well, because you you drink coffee, and then you're like, well, I'm not going to brush my teeth, and then come downstairs and have coffee. Uh-huh. So then you drink your coffee, uh-huh. and then you're like, yeah, afterwards, I'll go brush my teeth. But then yeah. you start doing something else, and then time goes by, and it's 1230 in the afternoon, and you're like, oh, right, I didn't brush my teeth today. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think I might be past my prime. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely past my prime. <laughs> So the girls both decided that Abby's real reason for marrying their father was for his money and not for love. Mm. They became increasingly rude and obnoxiously formal towards Abby. Whoa. Have you ever done that? Where you're so polite in the rudest fucking way. It's even better when the person that you're doing that to knows you're doing Mm it as an asshole. But they can't say anything because you're technically being nice. Exactly. It's the best. I also read that they were concerned about their inheritance. Mm -hmm. They thought that if or I guess when Andrew died, he (laughs) would pass all of his money on to Abby and not them. And then they would be left with nothing. And I mean, since, like you said, they were spinsters, they didn't have husbands, and they virtually lived off of their father. That was a little conflict of interest. Emma and Lizzie decided as a way to punish their father and their stepmother they would no longer call Abby mother, but instead they would call her 
Mrs. Borden, which is awkward as fuck to me. That's petty as shit, and I kind of love it. It's so rude. It's so rude. The girls did everything they could to annoy poor Abby Borden, including speaking to her through their housekeeper. (laughs) A side note on the housekeeper, the girls called her Maggie, even though her name was Bridget. Mm Mm-hmm. The girls had a housekeeper when they were younger who was named Maggie, and they decided that it was just too much to learn a new name, so they continued to call this new housekeeper Maggie. How dehumanizing is that? Yeah, that's just straight up rude, but I also read that Bridget really didn't care that they called her Maggie, Mm. but I mean... Deep down, I think she was probably like, fuck these rich bitches who can't even be bothered to learn my name because that's just, it's a little ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I feel like they did know her name. Oh, for sure. And they were just being honestly total fucking assholes it's about it. It's a name. How, like, how can you not be bothered to learn someone's real name and call them by it? I don't know. People call me Nicole constantly. Really? Yeah, which I don't understand because my name isn't that rare. No. My whole life, people have called me Nicole to the point where I just fucking answer to it now. (laughs) Are we one person now? We are one. We are Nicole. Did we get that? No, we didn't get that surgery yet. We're going to. We'll do it. We got to do it. (laughs) We'll schedule that for like after COVID, I think. Yeah. This, by the way, is reminding me of a show called Another Period. Have you ever seen that? I've never seen it, no. Oh, no. It's hilarious. I feel like I have, every single episode I am recommending a show to everyone. <laughs> it's okay. Every episode. I'm so sorry. But if you haven't seen it, please watch it. It's like a reality TV spoof on a Downton Abbey type show. Okay. Do you know who Ricky Lindholm is mm. from Garfunkel and Oates? She's the tall blonde. Oh, yes. Yes, And I do. Natasha Leggero. I love her, yes. Absolutely. Well, they have this really beautiful housekeeper. It's set in, like, Victorian era. Yeah. And they have this really beautiful housekeeper played by Christina Hendricks, who's just obviously a total oh, knockout. Oh, yeah. She's a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. And they decide that her name is too pretty. I think it's called, I think she's called, like, Celine or Selena or something. Mm-hmm. And she's too pretty. Her name is too pretty. So they decide to call her Chair instead. (laughs) Wow. It's hilarious. And this is just totally giving me vibes like that. Well, I do love me some Natasha Leggero, so I will have to check it out. (laughs) It's very funny. She owns a lot of chihuahuas in the show, so you would definitely like it. Feel that on a personal level. (laughs) Anyways, back to the Bordens. Um, As a way to try to smooth things over with his girls, Andrew gave them some money. And he sold his old family house to the girls for $1 in 1887 for them to rent out. Hmm. Each of the girls made a small income from the rental house, and they had around $2,500 in their bank accounts, which is a nice little gift. If my father gave me $2,500, yeah, even that would today, be insane. In today's money, I'd be like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> for real. Yeah, absolutely. But if you calculate that into today's money it's about seventy thousand dollars oh, okay so just like a little bit of money he gave them just yeah a little bit. it's like a pretty cute little gift from their daddy <laughs> and honestly that would make me call abby anything she fucking wanted to be called yeah but i mean they probably expected it because their daddy was a millionaire so what is it with rich bitches man yeah for sure fun fact the girls would eventually sell that house back to their father a few years later um, a few weeks before his death. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. For five 
thousand dollars. Oh, which if you're doing um, double old timey math, that's like a hundred and forty thousand dollars. Yeah, it's double. Oh wow. Okay, a house well, they bought for one dollar. <laughs> okay. I read that the, at first when he gave them the house, they were like, sweet, like we have a rental property in our names. We're making our own money. But then they kept on needing to put money into the property because mm-hmm. that's what happens when you have a rental property. And it ended up just being more work than they had expected. So they were just kind of over it, which also goes to show how privileged they really were. Oh, for sure. I mean, your dad gives you a property that it's paid off, that you, you're you just making straight profit off yeah. of it, right? And you decide that it's too much work, so you sell it back to him for, like, double what it's worth. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, if I were them, I'd want to be independent of daddy at some point in my life. Well, they do become independent of daddy at some (laughs) point. They do. (laughs) I mean, Lizzie was 32 and Emma was 41, and they both still lived with their father. Yeah. So. That's kind of old to be living with your parents. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I'm not here to judge anyone and. Things happen, and I know the economy is shit, and, like, we're in a pandemic, so I'm not talking about right now. No. At all. At all. Well, just the fact that they never tried to do anything. That's the thing, is that they never, ever tried to not live with their father. (laughs) They're just like, this is where we live. This is the pot we shit in. (laughs) You think when you get older, you get a bigger pot? Yeah, I would hope so, at least. I don't know. Andrew Borden's kind of a tight butthole. (laughs) It's true. So tensions in the Borden household continued to grow, and the housekeeper would later go on record stating that Lizzie and Emma would then rarely take their meals with their father and stepmother, instead choosing to take dinner in their rooms. Hmm. We would be remiss to leave out the fact that Lizzie was also a bit of a klepto. <laughs> yes. She loved to steal and she Ooh. loved to shoplift. Ooh, yes, she did. <laughs> This was obviously frowned upon, um, much like it is today, Yeah, I guess. Yep. But at that time, a lady did not behave in such a manner. Mm. This was not something you did. And this dirty little secret would be the undoing of the family's social status if it were to come to light. So as a way to brush it under the rug, Andrew Borden set up a little deal with the shopkeepers around town. They would check for any missing items after Lizzie left the shop, and then they would send a bill to Andrew. Andrew would quietly pay the bill and ask no questions of anyone and just kind of move on with his life. What if there was like another person in town that was stealing everything and Lizzie only took like one or two things, but Andrew Borden just ended up paying for all of it? I absolutely thought of that. And also, what's to stop the shopkeepers from being like, oh, I thought we had four <laughs> bottles of wine. Right. Now we only have one. That dang Lizzie must yeah. be her again. I would have fucking done it. I would have totally to be done honest. it. And I mean, we've all stolen like one time, maybe one thing in our lives, right? I mean, if you've never stolen anything in your life from a store, like kudos to you. But yes, everyone listening to this has stolen. If it's just like a pack of gum, maybe it's, I don't know, like a car or something. (laughs) But everyone's stolen. It's it's just we're not here to judge. Maybe, Maybe when you were in high school, you would go to the mall with your best friend. Maybe sometimes you would steal scarves and sunglasses and use Russian accents and change your names and walk around the mall and pretend like you never stole anything and you were just from another country and maybe your name was Svetlana. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just spitballing here. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe you did that. Maybe you did that. Maybe you did. Not you, our listeners. Not us. We didn't do it. No. 
But Lizzie was an addict and she probably did do that. She just, she couldn't go a day without stealing a little something, something from someone. This kleptomaniac, which is like my favorite word ever. It sounds like an absolute berserker mode of thievery. Right. It's like the final level of thievery. Yeah. It's like the ultimate Pokemon, like, evolution. Mm -hmm. Kleptomania. (laughs) So this combined with her detest for her stepmother met the ultimate conclusion in 1891 when someone who was definitely not Lizzie broke into Abby's room (laughs) and stole jewelry, uh, like $100 and some trolley tickets, but it wasn't Lizzie. Right. It it was not her. It was probably someone else that wasn't her, but it wasn't her. Mm -hmm. Andrew went to the police because Lizzie swore up and down it wasn't her. It, It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. And then one day when Andrew Borden was walking around, he saw a small neighborhood boy with a bunch of trolley tickets in his hand. He asked the boy where he had gotten them, and the boy looked him in the eye and said, Well, Miss Lizzie gave them to me, Mr. Borden. (laughs) And Andrew called off the police report. Busted. Yeah. In May of 1892, Andrew Borden went out back to the little barn behind their house, which we saw. It's very cute. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where the gift shop is now. It is. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's very, very cute. So he went back to this little gift shop barn and (laughs) he decided he was just going to kill all the pigeons that had been roosting in there. Okay. Yep. He woke up and just chose violence. He caught all these pigeons and he chopped off their tiny little pigeon heads with a hatchet. Oh, with a hatchet? Mm, A little foreshadowing, maybe? Totally foreshadowing. The reason he gave was that neighborhood boys were coming around and trying to hunt these pigeons. And he didn't want those goddamn kids on my goddamn land where I'm shitting in all my pots and they're going to come in here and they're going to see me through the window and make fun of me because I don't have a flushable toilet. Well, that spiraled quickly. So in That was a quote. In- <laughs> Instead of just telling these boys to mm-hmm. not come in his backyard, mm-hmm. he decided just to brutally murder all these pigeons instead. Got to. Okay. What else are you going to do? Uh, I mean, you could just be like, hey, boys. Don't come in my backyard to hunt pigeons. Or, like, lock the door to the barn so the pigeons don't get in, or the boys. Yeah, I mean, there are several things he could have done besides hatcheting off of their heads. Again, he woke up and he chose violence. Very true, he did. Well, this was a mistake, because those little pigeons were Lizzie's pets. She would feed them, and she would spend time with them in the barn. I read that she had named all of them, and she knew their names, and they might have known their names, and... Just a very cute, like, Snow White, but make it Massachusetts. Okay. All right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But Andrew claimed up and down that he did not know that Lizzie loved those birds, Mm. and he wouldn't have done it if he did know. Sure. Sure. Just like Lizzie didn't steal those trolley tickets, She didn't. She told him he didn't. (laughs) She didn't do it. All right. That little boy's a liar. (laughs) This took a lot out of Lizzie, and she was so, so upset that in July of that year, she decided that she needed a vacation from her Fall River home. Mm -hmm. Her and Emma took an extended vacation to New Bedford, returning about three weeks later at the tail end of July. That's terrible, and I don't blame her. I mean, stealing trolley tickets is one thing, but murdering a bunch of innocent animals to get back at your daughter is fucking psychotic that is absolutely insane yeah it's aggressive and it's unnecessary and 
I don't know. It, psychotic yeah. is a really good word for it. Yeah. Well, looking for some additional time away from her family, when they got back, Lizzie decided to stay at a room in a local boarding house for four days before returning home on August 1st. All right. Should we get into everyone's favorite part now? The murder. Oh, I thought you were going to say the part where everyone's shitting in pots. <laughs> no. I mean, okay, everyone's second favorite part. Yeah, let's talk about murder. Okay. Well, that same, uh, I guess, week on August 3rd, 1892, so this is the day before the murders, John Morse arrived at the Borden house. John Morse was the uncle of Emma and Lizzie and was the brother of Lizzie's biological mother, Sarah, who had passed away. So he shows up unannounced. He doesn't have any luggage. Hmm. And he intended just to stay the night as his plan was to visit some other relatives across town the next day. That seems strange to me to show up without even a change of clothing. Yeah. Maybe people back then didn't change their clothes every day like we do. There is a reason. So this actually wasn't unheard of for Mr. Morris. Oh. So he would come and stay with the Bordens quite often. He Mm -hmm. was from Dartmouth and would come. He would stay with them, conduct some business in town, visit some family, and then he'd leave. So it was just like a day or like night trip. Okay. So just like an overnight situation. Right. On the morning of August 4th, 1892, the residents of the Borden house awoke to a warm August morning. Several members of the family had been sick for days, vomiting, possibly due to a spoiled mutton stew that they had been eating for four days as it sat out in the hot August heat. Oh, yeah, possibly from the mutton stew. Yeah, maybe. Hearing you say that gave me an actual gag reflex that I think (laughs) I just accidentally picked up on this microphone, so I'm so sorry if you all heard that. First off, mutton... Yeah. Fucking barf. Gross. No thanks. Yep. Four-day-old midsummer mutton stew? <laughs> Sweet fucking Satan, dude. Deliver me from this mutton-filled nightmare. This sounds absolutely terrible. Yeah, I'll say it again. Mutton stew. Please stop saying it. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Borden, although a wealthy man, like we said, was very cheap, and he didn't have any indoor plumbing or electricity, so... When they would cook food and they had leftovers, they would eat all of it to try to save money. It's unfucking real. You would rather have diarrhea in your pot. (laughs) (laughs) Ew. I didn't even think of that. Then they didn't even have indoor plumbing and they were going through this time. Then throw away that old fucking sheep stomach. Yep. Gotta save a buck. That's a life choice, Borden. (laughs) Around 6 a.m., Bridget Sullivan, or Maggie, as the girls insisted on (laughs) calling her, she wakes up and she starts beginning her morning duties. Bridget Sullivan was a 26-year-old Irish Catholic maid who had been working for the Bordens for three years. So you mentioned Irish Catholic here, Mm -hmm. and that's very important to our story because at this time, the Irish um, and Catholics were basically absolutely hated in this country. Yeah, they were extremely... It was There was a huge prejudice, prejudice against them. Prejudice, yeah, that's right. And the Bordens were so racist and just mm-hmm. completely intolerant towards yeah. Irish and Catholic people. And I'm Irish and Catholic. Well, well I was Catholic. The Bordens... <laughs> what? I'm telling Jesus. <laughs> well, the Bordens would have hated you. They would have. 
they would have hated me. They sound like terrible people, so good. Yep. Abby Borden, Andrew Borden, and John Morse all came down for breakfast around 7 a.m. They ate in the dining room while Miss Lizzie remained upstairs in her bedroom and slept in. Seems pretty on brand. Yep. Emma, Lizzie's older sister, was not at the home at this time, for she was in Fairhaven, Massachusetts, staying with friends. Fairhaven is about 15 or so miles away from Fall River, and I actually did, in fact, Google map it. No! Fall River to Fairhaven, Massachusetts. Um, Elsie, are you listening to this if one? If you're listening, it's about a 20-minute drive away. Okay. So, okay, I mean, please don't rage review us about how long it takes to get to places anymore because you know well it only took elsie 18 minutes so how dare you <laughs> i'm sorry i'm so sorry how dare you around 8 45 a.m john morris left the house and went on his way to visit family across town a few minutes after john morris left lizzie came down but did not have breakfast instead she grabbed some coffee and a cookie and she, too, was kind of still suffering from this spoiled mutton stew, so she kind of skipped breakfast that day. Um, stop saying spoiled mutton stew, please. <laughs> I'll pay you money. And also, why does coffee and a cookie just seem also very unbrand for Lizzie? I know. She's rolling in a bed almost 9 o'clock, so mm. we're in her jam jams, comes down. She's like, <laughs> Matt was going to do like a really hard Boston accent, but I'm not going to. <laughs> She's like, Maggie, um, my cookie, it's almost nine. The cookie hour. (laughs) I picture it was probably black coffee, too. No cream or sugar. The angriest type of. Yes. Yeah. If you know, do you drink coffee with sugar and milk in it? I do, yeah. I can drink it without, though. I can go either or. You can. Mm -hmm. But you don't. I don't. Because you choose happiness. (laughs) Yes. And there's people out there that are die. We're gonna get so much shit for this. I know that are diehard black coffee drinkers, <laughs> and I just want to know. I just want to know who hurt you. <laughs> who hurt you? We're gonna get a rage review, being like these girls say like 27 times in this episode, and they hate black coffee. <laughs> just watch. Wait for hate it. it. Wait just- for it. I just choose happiness. <laughs> Okay, so around 9 o'clock a.m. that morning, Andrew Borden left the home for his usual business rounds. This fact was corroborated by their neighbor, Mrs. Churchill. She sounds nosy. She is the Louise in the trees of the neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew visited several banks, probably the ones that he owned or was a president for, he, oh, he was a stockholder. That's why. Oh, okay. That was the third bank, probably. Yes. He also visited a store that he owned, which was being remodeled. Also around this time, Abby Borden had instructed the maid, Bridget, to wash all of the windows inside and out. And this was a task that Bridget was not too happy to do, as it was stifling hot. And like the rest of the family, she too was suffering from food poisoning from the rotting don't, don't. mutton stew hold my hair i'm going to throw up (laughs) but bridget abided it was her job and the neighbors the uh mrs churchill and trees peeking through the window she also stated that she had witnessed bridget doing that around this time as well that is such a great alibi like i'm just saying um everyone can see you washing windows which means that you absolutely were not doing crime 
Because you were washing a window. Exactly. Yeah. So if I ever get accused of something, I was washing windows. Okay. And she, you like, saw she, was, me. she was washing all of her windows. Didn't you see me? Yeah. Who couldn't have? <laughs> While Bridget was outside washing the windows, Abby was to go upstairs and straighten up the guest room where Uncle John had stayed the night before. The reason Abby did this instead of making her maid do it was because Bridget was not allowed on the second floor, <laughs> which was where all of the Borden's rooms were. They didn't believe that the help should have access to their personal belongings. I roll. Right, because she was Irish. Exactly. And she was Catholic. Yep. Which is so racist and so classist. Mm -hmm. And I'm fucking sorry to bring this up so much. But (laughs) if you have to shit in a pot because the patriarch of your household is too tight asshole to put in indoor plumbing, Mm -hmm. then I'm so sorry, babe. Preach it. Preach it. You have no right to be treating anyone like a lesser person. Yeah. Maybe it's a hot take. I don't know. Maybe it is. But I don't know. I just feel like it's ridiculous. Don't at me. I agree with you. Don't at me. So Bridget is outside washing the windows. Oh, and also I read that she was still so sick from the rotten mutton (laughs) stew. (laughs) That she was puking outside while she was doing so. Oh, my God. So she'd wash a window and then turn over and be like, and then come back to washing. So the poor woman, I mean. That's fucking terrible. It's hot. It's August. You're just fucking filled to the brim with rotten muttons, too. (laughs) And you have to do manual outdoor labor. That's a prison sentence. Mm -hmm. So we have Abby in the guest room fixing it up. Uh-huh. And Lizzie says that she was doing laundry and also ironing handkerchiefs in the dining room. Have to. Got to. It's estimated that somewhere between 9 and 10 a.m., probably 9.30. Oh, perfect. Right just, in the middle. Yeah, yeah, right in the middle. Abby Borden was murdered in the guest room. <gasps> According to investigators, Abby was facing towards her killer at the time of the attack, which begs the question... Did she recognize her attacker? Ooh, we're going to talk about that more later. Abby was first hit on the side of her head with a hatchet, cutting her just above the ear. Like so many pigeons. Oh. This blow caused the woman to turn around and fall face down onto the floor as contusions to her nose and forehead were later discovered in the autopsy results. So it's just like she kind of turned around and face planted to the ground after that first blow. I wonder if she was dead. So it hit her on the side of the head and then she just fell she fell face first. Didn't even try to stop her hand, like stop her. Well, with her hands. it probably whatever it did shocked the shit out of her. So That's she just true. fell, and then there was no hope because her killer then proceeded to hit her seventeen more times in the back of the head, killing her with a total of eighteen wax, not forty, but still eighteen. Eighteen wax. That is so many. Right. While on our tour. Our guide brought up an interesting little bit of information. We were obviously in the exact house that the murders were committed, and the house hadn't been changed at all. No. So when she was going over the murders, we were in the dining room, which was almost directly under the guest room. Now, if you remember, Lizzie claims she was in the dining room ironing when this murder took place. Right. So our guide demonstrated for us that if Lizzie were in the dining room at the time her stepmother fell to the ground in the guest room, there would have absolutely no doubt have been a loud thud when the woman had fallen and she would have heard it. Yeah. 
I was also reading, which we'll talk about the evidence and stuff on the next episode, mm-hmm. but I was reading that the, basically the only attempt at crime scene investigating that they did <laughs> um, was that they dropped a 200-pound weight oh, on the ground. To demonstrate. Yeah, and they had like old-timey detectives stand in the dining room. They're like, <laughs> yes, I can hear that very well. <laughs> well, also, it's a important to point out that abby borden was not a small woman she was a very short woman of 64 at the time of her death and she was around 200 pounds so a fall would have 100 percent produced a loud thud and anyone in the room below should have heard it but lizzie didn't hear a thing well it's very convenient lizard (laughs) i'm just gonna put this out there i can hear a ghost walk around in the room above me yeah, sure and, can. By all logic, a ghost has absolutely no weight. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to call fucking horse shit right now on Lizzie Borden. Not hearing a 200-pound body hit the floor in the room right above her. Right. Our tour guide even said that she, one time on a tour, demonstrated this to prove that someone, Lizzie, in the <laughs> dining room would have 100% heard someone hit the floor. I think she even said, uh, she said she had a guest volunteer to go up in the room and this guest fell on the floor while yeah. everyone on the tour was in the dining room so they could he- they could see if they could hear a fall. And they absolutely did. She said that it shook the whole house, shook the whole room. Well, so Yeah, I mean, this house is super fucking old. It's made out of wood. You can hear people walking on yeah. the floor above you, let, let alone, alone a body. Yeah, my left ass cheek weighs 200 pounds, and you can hear me sit down in a chair from the basement. So she definitely heard her. Uh, if if she were actually oh, right. ironing at the time. <laughs> I forgot. If she was ironing her handkerchiefs. Mm-hmm. A little after 10.40 a.m., Mr. Borden arrived home from his morning errands. Mr. Borden tried to enter through the front door of the house, but it was either locked or jammed. Different articles say different things, but the point of it is that Mr. Borden was not able to get through the front door from the outside. So he had to call Bridget, who at this time, I guess she was now inside washing windows. So he had a call for her. She comes to the door and she opens it for him. Okay. While Bridget was fumbling for the door, though, she claimed that she heard a laugh from upstairs, though... Lizzie says she was in the kitchen at the time. That is creepy as fuck. Yeah. Mr. Borden asked where his wife was, and Lizzie told him that she wasn't sure, but that Abby had received a note and went to visit a friend who was sick. Hmm, interesting. Except there was no visitor. There was no sick friend, and a note was never found. (gasps) Interesting. Lizzie later stated that her stepmother may have burned the note after receiving it, and that's why nobody found it. But okay, whatever you say, Lizzie. I burn every piece of mail I get. (laughs) When I get a text message, I delete it as soon as I read it. She burns her phone. You have to. (laughs) I burn my phone every time. She goes through so many phones. It's very expensive. Why do they call it a burner if you're not supposed to burn them? (laughs) Mr. Borden grabbed the key to his bedroom off of the mantle and took the back stairwell up to his and Mr. Borden's bedroom. It's important to note that there were two stairwells in this home. So one stairwell led up to the guest room and Lizzie's room and Emma's room. There was a door between Lizzie and Lizzie's room and her parents' room, but they always kept it locked. There was furniture pressed against it so nobody could get through it. 
the stairwell was the stairwell that greeted you in the front door. So the front stairwell leads to the guest room, Lizzie's room, and Emma's room. The other stairwell at the back of the house led to Mr. Borden and Mrs. Borden's room and also to Bridget's room, which was all the way up in the attic. Yes, this house is an absolute labyrinth. Each room leads into the next, and there's absolutely no hallways. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no hallways. It's the weirdest house I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. So to get, even to get to Emma's room, Emma had to go through Lizzie's room because you're right, they, they didn't have any hallways. Yeah. So what our guide explained is that the house was once a two-family home. Mm-hmm. So the top floor was a full house, basically, and the bottom yeah. floor was two. And it was a totally normal house until the Bordens moved in and Mr. Borden totally renovated. I'm using scare quotes here because <laughs> you just knocked down a shit ton of walls. Yeah. And there's rooms that have like three doors in them. Mm-hmm. You have to go through every bedroom to get to every other bedroom. Yeah. It's absolutely bizarre. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. But no. Get the property brothers in there. They'll open that space <laughs> right up. Knock this wall right down. Mr. and Mrs. Borden would also always lock the door to their bedroom because of the things that had gone missing a year prior. I wonder who did that. The trolley tickets, the jewelry, the $100. Right. We had learned on our tour that Mr. Borden kept a key hidden in plain sight Mm -hmm. on the mantle. And this was sort of a dare to Lizzie to steal from Abby again. I mean, she didn't do it the first time, but, you know, just if she wanted to. (laughs) If she did. Yeah. So this would mean that to get to... The elder Borden's room, you have to have access to the inside of the house. So you have to have a key to get into the house, and then you have to know where this other key is to unlock the door to get up to the elder Borden's room. Right. So basically, this would have been impossible if you didn't know where the key was. Yeah. So basically, he was using it to tease Lizzie. Yeah. Like, haha, the lock, the key's right here. You want to steal from me? I'm gonna know it's you. Right. Which I feel like they they played a lot of games like that, him and Lizzie. It just they just kind of fucked with each other all of the time with the pigeons and the tickets. It's actually kind of sad. No, it seems like a very healthy relationship to me. <laughs> um my dad kills my pets and I steal from him all the time. It's normal. <laughs> it's very normal. Mr. Borden went upstairs to his room. He was there for only a few moments before heading back downstairs where he went to sit on the couch in their front sitting room. Lizzie says she was still in the next room, which is the dining room, ironing her handkerchief. She has so many handkerchiefs. So many. And she only irons them once a year, so it takes her (laughs) three to five hours. She says she spoke with Bridget, and she asked Bridget if she was going to leave for a huge dress sale that was going on at a department store in town. And she gave Bridget permission to leave if she wanted to go. So she was like, hey, Bridget, there's like a dress sale going on. Why don't you leave and go get some dresses? Um, When you're done barfing in the yard, (laughs) do you want to go buy a dress? Well, Bridget replied that with the heat of the day, Combined with her still queasy stomach and all of the hard work that she had just gone through washing the windows, she was feeling too tired and too sick to go. You don't say. Yeah. Instead, Bridget excused herself from the Bordens and went upstairs using the back stairwell, remember the back, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to go lay down in her room and rest. And this was around 11 a.m. Lizzie said she talked to her father in the sitting room. She says she removed his boots and helped him put on his slippers so he could 
relax and lay down and take a little nap. Well, if there's one thing I know about Lizzie, she never lies. Nope. This is what she says. However, in the infamous crime scene photo of Andrew sitting on the couch with his head cracked in, his boots are on. What? But Lizzie yeah. said she took them off. Well, Lizzie's a liar. Fun fact, you mentioned a crime scene photo. Mm-hmm. This was the first ever photographed crime scene. I know. It's so crazy. It's this. It's such a prolific case, too. Mm-hmm. And to have it be the very first one. Yeah. This is like the beginning of true crime, I feel like. It is. Yeah. Oh, I like yeah. that. Yeah. The beginning of true crime. What? Lizzie then says she went into the yard and the barn for around 20 to 30 minutes to find some supplies to craft together some fishing sinkers. Her plan was that she was going to visit her sister and their friends in Fairhaven the, ne- the next day and do some fishing. Lizzie also says that she stopped to eat some pears from the trees in her backyard as well. Got to. Apparently there was a pear orchard, maybe there was a few trees, but what we do know is that a lot of people just ate pears in this whole story. Yeah, they were constantly eating pears. If they weren't killing things with hatchets, they were eating pears. <laughs> it's like either or at this yeah. point. It's like a hatchet in one hand and a pear in the other. Yeah, I mean, it's like they almost used eating pears as a reason to be like, oh, oh no, I'm sorry. I couldn't have murdered anyone. I was eating three pears at the time. And as you know, in order to eat three pears, you must have one in your mouth, you must have one in your left hand, and one in your right hand, and where are you going to hold a murder weapon? (laughs) You can't hold a hatchet that way. When Lizzie returned to the living room from when she was outside eating her pears and making her fishing sinkers. Also, that's so many pears. So many pears. She found her father dead on the couch where she had previously left him. Lizzie then yelled for Bridget. Maggie, come quick. Father is dead. Somebody came in in and killed him. Bridget then ran down the stairs to find a frantic Lizzie and Andrew slumped on the couch. He was struck 11 times with a hatchet, not 41. Close. One of his eyeballs had been split in two and his nose had been severed from his face. Jesus Christ. He was 70 years old at the time of his death. Andrew had laid down for a nap, never to awake again. He didn't even get to eat a pear that day. No. That's that's, the saddest part. That's the biggest travesty. Honestly, I'm so sad. Lizzie told Bridget to run across to get Dr. Bowen, who was also a family friend. Bridget did so, but the doctor was not at home at the time, so instead she informed his wife to call him back, and she ran back to the boarding house. Bridget then asked Lizzie where she was at the time of the murder, and Lizzie told her she was just out back when she heard a groan and then came in to find her father had been slaughtered, and Lizzie says that the screen door was wide open. Mm, It was propped open by a pear. (laughs) Lizzie then sent Bridget to run and get her friend, Miss Alice Russell, who lived a few blocks from their home. So by this time, the neighbors are starting to get wind of something going on in the Borden household. Their nosy neighbor, Miss Adelaide Churchill, who lived next door, came over to see what was up. Lizzie told her that someone had killed father. (gasps) Mrs. Churchill then asked Lizzie where her father was, and she told him he was in the sitting room. She then asked her where her mother was. Lizzie gave her the same story she had relayed earlier that Abby had received a note about a sick friend, but then Lizzie says, but I don't know, she could be killed too, for I thought I heard her come in. 
Father must have an enemy, for we have all been sick, and we think the milk has been poisoned. I'm so sorry. What? (laughs) So her dad is confirmed dead in the living room. Yeah. This neighbor is like flipping out like right where's your stepmother and lizzie's like oh she's somewhere or fucking dead i don't fucking know <laughs> you know that bitch either she's somewhere or she's dead pretty much that is an insane thing to say and i'm going to start saying it <laughs> i don't know have you seen my car keys <laughs> i don't know probably dead <laughs> at this time dr bowen finally arrived at the scene with bridget hurrying back from alice's house as well dr bowen examined Mr. Borden and upon clearly noting that the man was dead, I mean, his head was beaten in so badly that the doctor couldn't even identify that it had been Mr. Borden in the first place. But he had to check for a pulse because (laughs) that's how you know. Yes. The doctor then asked for a sheet to place over the man, contaminating the crime scene. Which, it's the 1800s, okay. No forensics, but come on. It just... It amazes me how many people in so many of the cases that we cover just straight up mess up the scene without thinking. Yeah. Clearly, they're not obsessed with true crime like us. Well, this is the beginning of true crime. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll give them that Yeah. One. And there were no forensics. Fine. And this guy's super dead. And <laughs> so maybe just don't cover him with a sheet because I'm pretty sure he's not cold. Yeah. Yeah. Leave him alone. Mm. At this point, everyone is wondering where Mrs. Borden is. Oh, and she's probably dead. <laughs> exactly. Lizzie says, Maggie, the maid, even though her name is Bridget. She says, Maggie, I am almost positive I heard her come in. Go upstairs and see. <laughs> Bridget, being the stubborn Irish gal that she was, was like, hell no. I am not going up there by myself. I mean, for all they knew, the killer could still be in the house. So. Right. Mrs. Churchill's like, okay, you know what? I'll go with you. So so they agree. They both go up the stairs to try to find Mrs. Borden. As the two women climbed the stairs, they didn't even need to get fully to the second floor to be able to see Abby Borden's bloodied body laying face down on the floor dead. Our guide Louise was super cool, like we said before, but she went upstairs before everyone else and she laid on the floor in the same spot as Mrs. Borden. So we could all get the effect of spotting the body as we walked up the stairs like Bridget and Mrs. Churchill did. It was so fucking cool. Yeah. So when you walk up the front stairs, they're like a little bit turned. Mm -hmm. So you only have to go up, what, four or five stairs before... Oh, well, it's kind of steep, but it's like kind of like a little spirally. Yeah. Okay. So we'll say whatever, eight stairs you have to go up. <laughs> yes. And you are straight up eye level yeah. with the actual floor yes. of the second floor. And your eye is instantly drawn to the left, which is that bedroom. And the, the bedroom. door was open. Mm-hmm. And Louise was laying there like, hey, it's me, Louise in the trees. And she's waving. <laughs> she waved she's so us. cute. Um, but... I can't imagine that. You walk up a few stairs, you look to the left, and bam. It's the first thing you see. There's a dead lady. Mm -hmm. It's a big yikes from me. Yeah. Dr. Bowen then sends for a telegram to notify Emma that her parents are dead. And he prescribes Lizzie a little calming tranquilizer, which was really just a double dose of morphine. (laughs) Holy shit. So Lizzie was feeling pretty great. And then they called the police. Wow. So Lizzie's just sitting there next to her dead father singing, Who let the dogs out? Who? 
For some reason, the song has not even been written yet. But when you're on morphine, you she's do crazy. She's stuff. ahead of her time. She, she's absolutely <laughs> ahead of her time. And half of her family's dead. Well, that's very fun. Um, I'm going to say this concludes part one. Let's stop here of our yep. Lizzie Borden series. So tune in for part two next week where the story will pick up with the trial of the century. Yeah, the yeah. trial of the century. Oh, yeah. The start of true crime, if you will. <laughs> yes. Do we want to read some listener mail? Yes. Oh, let's do it. Okay. So this one comes from one of our favorite listeners, Sarah, who joined us for our first book club last week. Yeah, we got to meet her. It was amazing. Oh my God, we got to meet all of her little animals. Oh too. yeah, all her cats and it dogs. It was very cute. And by meet, we mean that we were Skyping. Yes. <laughs> it was not. It was COVID. Yeah, we, we didn't go to her house. It was all through the internet. Yeah. She has three very spoopy stories for us. Spoopy. And we're going to read them for you right now. She says, I grew up in an old house built around 1930 or so during the Manhattan Project. My house has only one, had had only one other owner besides my mom, a lovely elderly couple who'd raised their family there. The man's wife had died and so he put the house up for sale so he could live with his son until his death just a few years later. Growing up, I had all kinds of paranormal experiences. Cabinets would open and close in the kitchen, the smell of pipe smoke would float around random areas of the house, and I would hear a woman singing in the basement on many different occasions. That would creep me out. (laughs) Very scary. But three of my favorite stories are as follows. First, a lighthearted story before I get into the darker haunts of the house. Involves pipe smoke my mom and I smelled occasionally. The old man that used to live in our house smoked a pipe. My mom had met the kindly old man when buying the house, and he was constantly seen puffing away. Neither my mom nor I have ever smoked, so smelling any kind of tobacco in our house was very odd. Once, when I was about 15, I was working late at night on a poster board for a school project. When all of a sudden, the strongest smell of pipe smoke filled the air behind me. Ooh, have you ever had that where you smell something and it shouldn't be there? Yeah. And you're it's you're like, it's a ghost. I have a theory about that. You do? And it involves the Matrix. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I don't know if we want to interrupt this story right now. Go for it. Okay. So I have this theory that when you smell something that's not supposed to be there. Yeah. That um, actually, because you know how all of this is like not real and we're just like living in a simulation, which is pretty obvious. Um, (laughs) Your like semi-lifeless corpse, which is hooked up and its body's being drained for energy. Obviously, there's something going on in that real world. That you're smelling. And your corpse, well, I'm saying corpse because you're almost dead, let's be honest, (laughs) is smelling this smell and it's translating into the simulation and it's not supposed to be there. Oh, creepy. I smell smells that shouldn't be there all of the time. Well, your corpse is too active. They need to drain a little more energy <laughs> from you, honey. So that's my actual theory on why I smell things that shouldn't be there. And it's not spirits because spirits are scarier than the Matrix to me. <laughs> I mean. Wow, I'm just whatever. realizing that right now. Anyways, back to the story. (laughs) She says, I was working late at night on a poster board for a school project when all of a sudden the strongest smell of pipe smoke filled the air behind me. I ignored it for a time, thinking it was something coming in from outside, but it never dissipated. I asked my mom if she could smell it, and she could, but it was only behind me around my poster area. Mm -hmm. 
The smoke smell got to be overwhelming to the point that I started getting a migraine. So I politely asked the old man if he could put out his pipe as the smoke was giving me a headache. And quick as the smell appeared, it was gone. Whoa. I like to think that he was just very interested in whatever project I was working on and was relaxing having a nice smoke. To this day, my mom has asked him not to smoke in the house sometimes. Guess he can't help himself. Oh, that was actually kind of cute. That was a very that. cute story. Um, can I read this scary one? You have to. Okay. I mean, you have to. <laughs> okay. So Sarah continues and she writes, Another haunt in our house involves a malicious spirit that actually followed me home from my dad's house. I was visiting my dad for the weekend and the house we were in, he had just moved into a few months prior. I'm not sure when, when, what went on in that house, but it had a very negative vibe. Every night when I would go to sleep, I had the same dream over and over. I would dream of this large shadowy mass hovering over me in my sleep. And in the morning, I would wake up with scratches on my arms. (gasps) I thought maybe I was just scratching myself in my sleep, but these scratches continued and new ones would show up each morning. On the last night I was there, I had the same dream, but this time the room was split in half where one half was the current one I was in, and the other half was my grandmother's room. On a side note, I was very close to my grandmother who had passed a few years prior. This odd thing about the dream was that in my grandmother's room, there was a white mist that was blocking the shadow in my half of the room. I was thoroughly creeped out at this point, but since I was going home, I figured I had nothing to worry about. But I was definitely wrong. Oh my god, that's so scary. When I got back to my house that very night, I walked into my bedroom and plain as day, I saw the shadow thing hovering over my bed that I had seen in my dream. I would absolutely scream. I got so scared and dreaded having to go to sleep later. When I went to bed, I could see it at the foot just hovering there. How do you lay in your bed like that? I would not go to sleep that night. I'm sorry. (laughs) I could see it at the foot just hovering there waiting to pounce. So it seemed. I finally went to sleep. I would not be able to fall asleep. No. And I woke up with more scratches on me. Every night went like this for a time until I had the dream again about my grandmother's room. And I could see this white mist pushing back against the malicious shadow. And in the morning, there weren't any scratches. After that night, when I would go to bed, I could see the shadow in the corner of my room, but it was covered by a haze of whitish fog. I eventually got up the courage to tell it I wasn't afraid of it anymore and it needed to go away. And like that, it was gone. I have no idea where it went or why it came after me, but I think my grandmother was protecting me from it night after night as best as she could. Ooh. Sarah is the single bravest person. Goosebumps, man. That was a terrifying story. Yeah. And I would shit in a pot (laughs) if there was a fucking ghostly spirit. I don't understand how she was just like, I'm going to go to sleep here, I guess. No, yeah. No, fuck that shit. I would have burned that house down. (laughs) The last of my favorite stories is one that happened when I was about 16. I was asleep one night when I woke up to a giant shadow standing next to me watching me sleep. Okay, Sarah, how are you so calm all the time? Yeah, I would, as soon as I saw one shadow standing over me when I was sleeping, Mm -hmm. I mask. I'm asked for the rest of my life. Terrifying. Absolutely (laughs) terrifying. And she's like, oh, yeah, there was this other ghost. (laughs) Wait till you hear this shadow story. (laughs) Holy shit, Sarah. Kudos. You are a brave lady. I'm going to mail you some fucking sage. (laughs) All right. So she continues. 
I thought that the shadow thing was back, but this shadow looked like a person. Mm. It was extremely tall and pitch black. I had a window by my bed where the street light would ooze in around the side of my blinds, and the shadow was so dark that it blocked out the light from the window. I love that. It's a good visual. I would say that living in a creepy house, I still slept with a nightlight until I was about 17, so I could see this shadow haloed by my nightlight. Well, the amount of shadows that are hovering over you during your sleep, I don't blame you. I would sleep (laughs) with every single light on in this fucking house at all times. So a nightlight, I do not blame you. And also, I slept with a nightlight until like, what day of the week is it? Tuesday. Yep, every day. (laughs) I thought I was dreaming or maybe it was my mom at first, but I awoke more and more. It was still there standing by the side of my bed and it was obviously not flesh and blood person. I freaked out and covered my face with my blankets, hoping it would go away. Solid logic. Yes. I peered out a few minutes later, and it was gone. I could see the light coming from my window, and my nightlight was completely impeded. I told my mom a little while later about the figure I had seen, and she too had seen it. She woke up in the middle of the night and saw it standing at the foot of her bed. The figure was in her room most nights for about two weeks, and then it disappeared. Prior to all of this happening, my great-grandmother had passed away about a month before this started. She was 6'2". That's very tall. Me and my mom think that it was my grandmother visiting us after she had died, and we think that she stayed in my mom's room so long because my mom was her favorite grandchild, or so she would say. Those are a few of my creepy stories. Nothing too harmful. XOXO, Sarah. Aw, nothing too harmful. I mean, the it middle fucking one was, scratched you. The middle one was a little harmful. I would but. call the cops. <laughs> you know, no, it's twenty twenty. We don't call the cops. We don't call the cops. But <laughs> still, absolutely horrifying. Yeah, and thank you so much for writing in, Sarah. We really do appreciate it, and for hanging out with us. Yes, on book club night, we appreciate your stories, and we appreciate your friendship. We do. And I'm if, say that. if anyone else has any other scary stories, or, weird things happening to them. Or just wants to be our friend. Yeah, we're here. Let us know. Email us at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. Or you can slippery slide into those DMs. We're on all of the social medias <laughs> at quiteunusualpod. And all of our source materials provided in our description. So if you want to do any other Lizzie research, you can look that up. Yes, and also we ask that you rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, let us know how many minutes away my <laughs> house is from the Dunkin' Donuts mm-hmm. um, in Boston, Massachusetts. Let us know that. I want to know um, how far Roanoke is from the rest of the Slame Triangle. You got to tell me. I need to know Guantanamo Bay is how far from Mar-a-Lago? <laughs> I got to know the hours. I got to know the walking distance. So leave us a review and let us know. And we actually, we have a P.O. box. So if you have anything cool, we just got a bunch of cool things that we'll talk about. But our P.O. box is 1212 in Des Plaines, Illinois, 60017. Yes. And if you need to know how to spell Des Plaines, just look up the picture of John Wayne Gacy being arrested. And it's right there on his little placard. Little yeah. mugshot says displays. The displays police. They got them. They did it. What we're they solved for. a crime once. <laughs> but we got some really cool treats that we would like to shout out to a couple of people. Yeah, and say thank you to. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I would like to first say thank you to Brad from Killin' Missin' Hidden podcast, which is very, very dope. Yes. By the way, 
He sent us an extremely cool drawing. Oh, it's so cool. Oh my gosh. It has tons of creepy cryptids. It's black and white and red. And it's very, very cool. We will post a picture on our social meds. And also, mm. I think we should frame it and hang it up. Yes, we will be framing it and it will be hung up in our studio, aka the haunted attic. Yes, which we are currently redecorating. And it's yeah. very, um, I keep saying it, but it's very dorm room esque. <laughs> And I don't hate it. No, me neither. It's kind of nice. We'd also like to send a little thank you to Lauren and Miguel from Midnight Outlaw. They sent us some super dope stickers. There's an awesome Krampus sticker. There's a really cool vampire magnet. And I was looking at their Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, you can follow them. They Their Instagram handle is mid underscore night outlaw. And they have all of their products on there. But the vampire magnet... There's a little story that goes along with it. If oh, anyone really? is familiar with Rhode Island's legend of Vampire Mercy Brown. Never heard of it. Me neither until I checked it out. So if you would like to know more, go on their Instagram. It's all on there and give them a follow. Their Etsy shop is also etsy.com slash shop slash Midnight Outlaw. And Lauren runs one of our favorite Instagram pages, Skinwalker Ranch Memes. It so is fucking solid it is hilarious so go give that page some love as well yes it's amazing also thank you to Lindsay from time departure yes um she is incredible she is such a hard worker and she sent us some very very cool tie-dyed socks and a super sweet message so check them out at timedeparture.com for some super dope-ass, witchy, cosmic, ethical, sweatshop-free merch. Yes. We are obsessed with everything from that store, and we will probably buy some Christmas yeah. gifts from there. All of her stuff is hand-dyed, ethical, gender-inclusive, and all chemical. So she has different formulas for each tie-dye pattern, and it holds its own special meaning. And we also have a coupon code for our listeners. We sure do. Lindsay is going to be adding some more fun stuff like masks and baby clothes and crop tops. So She signed me up for a crop top. Did she? Can't wait. So if you're interested, her website is timedeparture.com and you can use code quite unusual time for 10% off your purchase. And you can follow her on Instagram at timedeparture. Yeah, she has a lot of cool giveaways she does like all yes. the time too. Mm-hmm. So definitely use that little 10% off coupon code. It's quite unusual time. We don't get anything for it, just so you guys know if you no. were wondering. We just fucking love her shit. It's amazing. It's so cute. So support Lindsay, support Time Departure, um, support Midnight Outlaw. And you know what? Support Killing, Missing, Hidden podcast. Absolutely. And always remember to celebrate the strange. And while you're at it, keep it unusual. Bye. Bye.